we're taking a look at the subject of my gospel, and we need to uh, look at those verses three times in Paul's uh, writings. He uses uh, that exact phrase. The first one is in Romans chapter 2, if you turn over there. We'll just jump into the middle of the passage. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16, he says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So the question we're trying to answer is, why is it that, um, obviously, um, I wouldn't get up and, and talk to you about my gospel this morning. Uh, Why is it that Paul uses that phrase, first of all, and why does he feel like it's okay? Did did he really own this gospel? Was the gospel that he preached so unique? Um, And you kind of get an an idea of what the answer is in that question. Was his gospel so unique that he was able to actually claim, to patent it, and to say, it's my gospel? So again, he uses this phrase again uh, towards uh, the the end of the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 16, if you turn over a few pages there, uh, verse 25, here's his closing words. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, read it with me, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So again, early on in the book of Romans, uh, later in the book of Romans, again, he, he's not reluctant to define what his preaching is as my gospel. What we have in, in the book of Romans, um, just so you can understand that Galatians is like an emergency telegram. Uh, both Galatians and Romans have as the, the same subject, the gospel, whatever this, whatever Paul's gospel was, however we define it. Uh, in Galatians, we have uh, like an emergency telegram. He, he's saying to the Galatian churches, this is like southern Turkey, I'm astonished that you are so quickly removed from the gospel. So it's like he's heard about the Judaizers that are following up after him and they're infiltrating his churches and as we've seen, they're saying, it's good that you're a Christian, but to be a real Christian, you have to become a Jew first. And this involves circumcision. And so Paul is firing off an emergency telegram in Galatians. Romans, on the other hand, is his most extensive, lengthy treatment of the gospel subject. We remember how it starts, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So in Romans then, I think what we have is Paul's notes, so to speak. The truths that he has acquired, uh, his arsenal that he has put together in uh, fighting against the dogs of God cutting, the dogs of concision against the Judaizers. And you'll sense in Romans that he is going from topic to topic. It's not as systematic as we would like it to be, 
but it's as though the great debater decides to put uh what were those books that you would read when you didn't read want to read the whole book cliff notes romans is uh, galatians is emergency telegram romans is cliff notes so it gives you the fundamental movement of Paul's gospel, how he developed his gospel, how he defended his gospel, why he believes that uh, in it, and why he uh, eventually, as we can see in the book of Romans already, he calls it my gospel. So the last um, scripture reference where he refers to it as my gospel is in 2 Timothy. Uh, So turn with me there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in what? Has preached in my gospel. So, uh, three times he refers to his preaching as my gospel. So, the first um, sentence on your sheet that you've got uh, today is is the first sentence that we... um, Uh, was on your sheet last week, and it is the statement that uh, Christianity is largely a revelation received by the Apostle Paul. Christianity as we have it today is largely a revelation uh, received by the Apostle Paul. Uh, And we we went over some of the reasons for saying that uh, last week. For example, in the book of Acts, we spent some time there last week, Book of Acts begins in Jerusalem, has as its focus Peter and um, the church in Jerusalem. But it ends in Rome and with Paul as the focus of attention. And Paul says in the last few words of the book of Acts, you know, uh, it was always my characteristic practice to preach the gospel to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. He's talking to He's under house arrest. He's talking to Jewish visitors. He says, you Jews, of course, he was a Jew himself. He said, your ears are stopped up. Your hearts are hardened. You're (laughs) stiff-necked. He says, you won't hear the gospel, my gospel, but the Gentiles will. So what we have in the book, so people say, well, I'm, I'm a conservative Christian. I'm not a progressive Christian. If you are a Christian of any stripe or nature at all, if you understand the, uh, if, if I can use the phrase, the battle rhythm or the narrative theology that Luke is walking out for us in the book of Acts, you'll see that it starts in Jerusalem, but it ends in Rome. It starts with Peter, but it ends with Paul. Peter's last words, we've covered some of this, Acts chapter 15 at the great council of the church. Uh, he finally gets up and says, you know, Uh, We will be uh, saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, even as they are talking about the Gentiles. Then we don't hear about Peter any longer. There's no sermons preached by him. There, uh, there is no. We don't know where he goes, what he does. And I said this to Dan Scott. He says, "Well, it's because uh, Luke went traveling with um, the Apostle Paul, and so how is he going to tell us about what Peter was doing when he was traveling with the Apostle Paul? I said, exactly my point. <laughs> exactly my point. He's not traveling with Peter. It's, it's as though, here's, here's what I believe fundamentally. I believe that God uses Peter. 
He gives him the keys. I believe that Peter was the best of of the 12. We covered this a, a few years ago in Lent, you know, the last chapter of the Gospel of John, remember, where Peter says, I'm going fishing, and they all go fishing, they don't catch anything. And then Jesus, they're all night long, they're not catching anything. And you've heard me say that we don't know when Jesus showed up on the beach. Maybe he was there early, right? Maybe he spent the whole night listening to what was going on on the boat. As, as you know, a person could speak on a, vo- a boat and water at night, it'll, a voice will carry for a long time. But this is where um, Jesus confronts Peter and says, lovest thou me more than these? Uh, not meaning the fish and the bread, but lovest thou more than the rest of the disciples. And so I think that Peter at that time was the choice. But if we understand correctly how Paul was converted. Paul sneaks into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, and the stoning of Stephen. But in Acts chapter 9, where Luke tells us of his conversion, what does God say about the apostle uh, Paul, Saul of Tarsus? He's a chosen vessel unto me. I'm going to show him what he must suffer, and he's going to take this message to the goyim, to the Gentiles, to the dogs. I think in many ways then, and this is the reason why, if you look at Christianity, this is just a a broad outline. If you you look at Christianity, there, there is the Christian church that follows Peter more closely, and there is the Christian church that follows Paul more, more closely. Obviously, now Eastern Orthodoxy, they tend to follow the Apostle John, the, the Gospel of John tends to be their influential uh, book. But if you take Roman, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, who was the first pope? I know you're not Roman Catholics, and this is not a test. You won't be, you won't be graded on this. Who is the first pope? Who does the Roman Catholic Church consider their, to, to be the first pope? Peter, right? So, but in Reformed circles, the Reformation, you know, early 16th century, what was the, the, uh, the battle cry of uh, the Reformation? Ad fontes, which meant back to the sources. And what was their main source? It was Paul's doctrine of justification by faith alone. There's a reason why there is this, and I use the term lightly, there is a reason why there is this kind of fracture line in the church, because that fracture line existed from the beginning. So the reformers are saying we're militating against the Roman Catholic Church, which is not, uh, Martin Luther said that it was by the article of justification by faith alone by which a, a church was to be recognized, by which a church stands or falls. He says the Roman Catholic Church, that's a, It has abandoned the doctrine of justification by faith alone can no longer be considered the church because this this is the cardinal truth. Well, who gave Martin Luther the right to to say that this is the cardinal truth? Well, he was an Augustinian monk in a Catholic um, monastery. He was was a a Catholic priest who gave him the authority (laughs) 
the Roman Catholic Church gave him the authority, but they didn't like the exercise of that authority. So a lot of this has to do with what scriptures in the Bible are you going to emphasize? So this word revelation, then, we ended last week by reading from Romans chapter 2, and we asked the question, who gave the, Paul the right to say these things? What, what is one of the most outlandish things that he says in Romans chapter 2? He says that the Gentiles' uncircumcision counts as circumcision. Now, if you're a Jew, that is total blasphemy. Total blasphemy. Paul is a Jew. He's also a Roman citizen. He's also a scholar, right? We, we heard it in, uh, from Galatians this morning. He was, he was excelling far beyond his peers. So zealous was he for the tradition of his father. How does Paul, who is killing Christians on one day, all of a sudden becoming their foremost proponent on the next day? It is because he said, he explains it. I received a revelation. Now, what's the name of the last book in the Bible? Yeah, it's, it's not Revelations, it's the, the longer name of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The literature of the book, uh, the genre, is apocalyptic. And we get that word from the Greek word that is translated into English as revelation, apoc apocalypsos. So there is an... In, this, and it's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I'm preaching this because of this apocalyptic revelation that I have received. So there's no way that we can get around this. The, the, the King James Version of the Bible did not drop out of heaven, beautifully bound in goatskin leather at some point in uh, the history of the church and with angels singing and saying, here is God's word. Uh, we have the writings of Paul. He tells us, why have you made this great change? Why are you making these outrageous statements? He says, I received the revelation. He, goes, he makes himself even worse in Galatians chapter one. I did not receive this from man. I, no, I did not learn it. No one taught me this. So this is a major criticism then for people who maybe are on the rational uh, side of things. They say this, this, is a, um, this is a major leap. Some call it a leap in, into the dark. This is a major leap then. This is a major admission on your part that your Christian faith is based on a revelation that a man received 2,000 years ago. Have you ever uh, encountered a Christian who just said one too many times, God told me? God told me the other day. God spoke to me. And you're like, well, I, I believe that God speaks. Um, but you're, you're just a little bit somewhat 
a few de- degrees removed from them because you might be like, people that hear God speaking to them sometimes murder people in the name of God. So even though it happened 2,000 years ago, and even though we have the great institution of the church and the tradition of the church, the fact of the matter remains Christianity, say it with me, Christianity is largely a revelation received by the Apostle Paul. And need I remind you the kind of revelation that the book of Revelation is? You know, there have been a lot of people who said that whatever John was smoking, I would like to get a hold of some of that because he was having visions. He was looking up through the floor of heaven. All right, my gospel. So uh, look at this second statement that you have in your handout. It's on the screen. The foundation of Paul's thought and practice as a missionary and pastor was a life-changing experience of revelation experienced as grace and call. So there's, there's the word again, the word revelation. A life-changing experience of revelation. Turn uh, back again to uh, Galatians chapter 1. And we'll just quickly go through this. said, I want you to know, brothers, that uh, the gospel that was preached by me, or he might have been able to say that my gospel, right? The gospel that was preached by me, I want you to know that my gospel is not man's gospel. This was the, the foundation of Paul's authority. One of the requirements of being an apostle in, in the early church was that you had, you had to have spent time with the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Paul does not qualify in that sense, but what Paul is saying, uh, on the Damascus road, I saw the resurrected Lord, and what does Paul ask the Lord? He says, who art thou? What wilt thou have me to do? So what Paul is doing is based on who Jesus is and his understanding of who Jesus is. So the accusation that Paul somehow takes the message of Jesus and morphs it into something, for example, it's quite popular now that you'll hear in the younger set, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Well, we back up just a minute. As far as we know from the written record, Jesus never said anything about it. But to make a blanket statement, no, you can't really prove that because we don't know what Jesus said. Hello? I can't hardly remember what I said, what I did yesterday. So uh, the apostle John says that he did so many things that all the books in the world could not contain what what Jesus did. So if you look to prove, if you're saying that there's no record in the New Testament that Jesus said anything about the practice of homosexuality, okay, that that better qualifies it. But who, who gave us the record of what Jesus said to begin with? wasn't Jesus. 
Paul wrote the book of Galatians, it is the most intent, uh, intense autobiographical uh, snapshot of the Apostle Paul's life. No one disputes the, the authorship of the book of Galatians. No one disputes the authorship of the book of 1 Thessalonians. No one disputes the authorship of the book of Romans. Galatians is so intently Paul. Um, and, and we saw this last week in, in chapter 2 where, he, where uh, Peterson's translation in the message where he talks about the Jerusalem elders. He's, I did not give them the time of day. And it's almost, it's almost that cadence. It's almost like he's been pushed in the corner. He's like, da 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 he's, he's like, he's got a machine gun. I did not give them the time of day. Because he, he is so personally involved in uh, defending my gospel. So uh, if, if you look at this statement again, so this is where we're at. It, it is a, a revelation. Look at it. He says, for I did not receive it from any man. There it is again. This is important of all. I did not receive it from any man, verse 12, nor was I taught it, but I received it through what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then if you drop down to verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now that's the ESV if, if you've got the ESV Bible, you'll see uh, a number by the word two, and then you'll go over to it, and it says that the, in the Greek text, it actually says in. So here, here is Paul's supernatural divine revelation that he re that is given to him, but takes place in him. He, he is... And this is why he, he is set for the defense of his gospel. He is plainly declaring um, that he has had a transcendent experience. The rest of the apostles, yes, they, they spent time with the human Lord Jesus, but he says, I have I've seen the Lord. And he has done something to me and in me, he has revealed the gospel that I preach. So Barton goes on to say this first person testimony, I think this is uh, number three, this first person testimony is extremely important. It shows us first that for Paul, the starting point, here it is, now listen, the starting point of his Christian self-understanding, this is how he understands who he is, what he's been called to, what he's been given, what his mission in life is. The starting point of his Christian self-understanding self -understanding was a divine gift in the form of a revelation. There it is again. Of a revelation to in. See, now this is, this is reflecting what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 1. It's something that happened to him. It's something that happened in him form of a revelation to in him of Jesus Christ risen from the dead and exalted in glory as God's right hand as his son. 
We won't take the time this morning to look at Romans 1, 4, and 2 Corinthians 3, 16, 18, but this is the, this is the apocalypse, we can say this way, this is the apocalyptic core. Paul believed that this revelation of Jesus Christ was the answer to all the world's problems and that this revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord uh, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The exalted name of Jesus in heaven is not the word Lord that was given to the Kaisers or the Caesars. It is now going to be given to God's one, uh, his only begotten son. He's, he's declared Lord. This is my Father's world. There's not one one atom in the universe, this is what Lewis tells us, that is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. All of the promises that God made to Israel, this is Paul's writing, all the promises that God made to Israel are now going to be fulfilled in the lordship of Jesus Christ. He can't help himself. He can't do he, he, he tells us that he was put, woe is me if I preach not the gospel, that he was put under a divine compulsion to share this message. So, uh, and, and this, this of course is salted throughout his writing that the age, that the telos, uh, that's the Greek word for uh, the goal, the objective. Where are we headed? Where's the human race headed? The whole mission, purpose of God creating and redeeming. Remember in Calvin's Institutes, uh, that's what he does. Man has created, man has redeemed. God is, God is creator, God is redeemer. Man has created, man has redeemed. The whole purpose of this is to redeem, to ultimately fulfill God's purpose from the beginning. This happens to him because of a revelation that he received. You think about this. Uh, people don't, will not give their lives for a myth. If they, if, if they know that it's a lie and they've been purporting this lie, and if you threaten them, you don't hold a gun to their head, they're going to say, yep. Yeah, I was, it's not true, you're right. I would, I'm a scam artist. All of the apostles, it's been a testimony down through the last 2,000 years of history that Christians have willingly laid down their lives for this truth. Why? Because, because it is the truth. History, the, the human course, the course of human events is headed towards this ultimate fulfillment and it will not come about apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Paul's gospel message. And you'll see it, if we took the time, you'll see it in these two passages this morning. So the language of Paul in Galatians 1, 15 through 16 is biblical language. This I think now, are we on number four? The language of Paul in Galatians 1, 15 through 16 is biblical language and in the callings of the prophets, callings of the prophets. So 
Paul is, Paul is sourcing his authority to speak this word of revelation just like the Old Testament prophets did. Apocalypsos, this is <laughs> the heavens rolled back. There was a scroll unfolded. I heard a voice. <laughs> and the sense of call comes through in the climactic purpose clause. Look at it again uh, in the end of verse 16. God was pleased to reveal his son to or, and in me in order that uh, you might. It's interesting to go through the New Testament, particularly the writings of Paul, and underline every time you find that phrase. In order that, if if you really want to dwell, to know, become acquainted with, and understand the purposes of God, you could do no better study than to go through the New Testament and find where Paul uses those words. In order that, he's talking about fundamental, foundational principles that guide him in his preaching. When you see in order that, you know that something important is going to be said. What is he, what, why did God do this? What was the purpose? What was the goal? What was the objective? Why did God uh, take complete control of Saul's life and turn him into the greatest Christian missionary? He says, in order that I might preach him, meaning Christ, among the Gentiles. That's it. That's, that's his mission. So if you say that you're not a progressive Christian, the fact of the matter is, is that Paul takes the Old Testament and morphs it and uses it almost like a wax nose into ways that the Jews, no wonder the Jews wanted to kill him. Because he was a liberal. At no good dang Paul telling People, they don't need to be circumcised. That, that's not church. Real church, I went to church where they're all circumcised. That, that's the old time gospel. That's the way my daddy did it. That's the way my granddaddy did it. That's the way my great-granddaddy did it. That's the old time way. Ask for the old paths. This is what Paul constantly heard as a criticism. Paul, are you really? Now, what was happening was that in diaspora Jews and the Jews that were sent out all over the world because of persecution, they had, there was a laxity in the command to be circumcised. Gentiles would often join a synagogue in far-flung lands away from Jerusalem because they admired the moral character of the people who attended. But there was a growing understanding in, in the Jews of the diaspora that this whole thing about circumcision, circumcision was a picture of what was supposed to happen to a person's ears, to their eyes, to their heart. Paul builds on that. Paul also knows that if you require Gentiles to be circumcised, you are severely limiting the appeal of uh, the call of Jesus Christ as far as lordship goes in their lives. Somebody walks in here today and says, Alan, you're a fine person, but you need to be circumcised today. I'm going to say, you know what? Uh, I can continue being that fine person in my present state. I'm not saying that I am circumcised or that I'm not circumcised. 
if Paul had not done this, Paul is saying, I have been given that authority by the Lord Jesus himself to make these changes. The church in Jerusalem, of course, was understandably reluctant. They got here. Those of us who have come out of harsh legalism, we know what it is to try to keep relatives on both sides somewhat happy, right? So, you know, for women, it's like, well, we're going to a funeral of, and there are going to be a lot of oneness Pentecostal people there, so I guess I'll wear a dress, right? Do we, we don't feel particularly that we're compromising. We're, we're, it, it, maybe it's the law of Christ, the law of love, right? It, it, it's a matter of something it, indifference to us, but it means something to them. It's adiaphora to us, but it means something to them. So out of respect to them, because we don't want a million and one reasons enter into it. This is what we have going on in the early church. And Paul, ultimately, he just, he, he had, and, and we see this in the second chapter of Galatians, where he goes nose to nose with the apostle Peter. He, 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 Ultimately, he has to take a stand and say, you're playing the part of the hypocrite and I can't go along with you. See, now look, the way it was, Paul was okay with Jewish people who became Christians if they wanted to continue the Jewish tradition. But what Paul was militating against was Gentiles who were coming in as followers of Jesus Christ, of the Jews imposing the Jewish tradition on them. This is why he calls Peter a hypocrite. Because if you impose the law on them, it's one thing if you want to keep that law. If you impose the law on them, you are saying something, that there is something fundamentally missing in the gospel, in my gospel. All right, so in the book of Acts, again, we won't take the time. You, you might want to write those down by number four. Acts 9 is, of course, where we have Luke's account of Paul's conversion. And then in 22 and 26, we have Paul uh, sharing with his listeners his conversion. Just, just look at the one in Acts 26. I, I want you to see this. Look in Acts uh, 26 and verse 16. So he's talking about, he was on the road to, to Damascus. He says, who are you, Lord? Verse 15, and the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But this is Jesus still speaking. Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Here it is. There's that word again. Telos. For this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, speaking of the Jews, and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they may, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What a mouthful. Here. You, you, you want to know what your to-do list is for the rest of your life, Paul? Here it is. This is something, as we, as we study these glimpses into the mission of Paul, 
This is something that consumed him, something that he gave a lot of time thinking about. What was my gospel? How am I to defend it? How am I to promote it? How am I to reach the Gentile world with the good news of my gospel? So from the Damascus event, this is Udo Schnell. Don't you love, don't you love that first name, Udo? U-D-O, Udo. Anybody here ever met an Udo? Yeah, me neither. Well, let me introduce him to you. He says, from the Damascus event, Paul derived his right to belong to the circle of the original Jerusalem disciples, a group firmly fixed in history and bound to a particular place, even though, in fact, he was a wandering apostle. Now, we, we stumble onto this criticism of Paul in 1 Corinthians, where the Corinthian church is divided. They say, we like Peter, we like Apollos, we like Jesus. Uh, some of us even like Paul. But there was a criticism of Paul was that he, he did not have the authority, le- legitimate. You know, like he had a website that didn't have, what is it, the SIL or whatever that is, certificate of whatever. You know, sometimes you go on, on the internet and you'll see a little message pop up that says, this website's not secure. That, that was kind of the intimation about the Apostle Paul. So he, he, ha, he has to spend time defending his apostleship. And there, there is a cadre of Christians even today who believe that Paul was, a, uh, was antichrist, was a rogue preacher of the gospel, and they focus solely on the rest of the writings of the New Testament. So you can see how this this fracture line has followed for 2,000 years. We haven't been able uh, t- to get away from it. In the Corinthian correspondence, uh, first chapter, first or second chapter, uh, Paul, Paul says he, he's heard the murmurings of people. You know, they're saying about me, he has no physical presence. Um, he's not charismatic. Paul, Paul walks into the room, nobody turns around to see Who was that that walked in? Uh, His bodily, his uh, speech was, King James, his speech was contemptible. You know, it's like, like when you're talking about the sermon when you're going home in the car this morning. Uh, You know, it was okay, I guess. I, maybe maybe it's just because I'm tired because we lost an hour last night. So these are the inklings that kind of get back to the Apostle Paul. And his defense is, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, some years ago, who was caught up to the third heaven. He's talking about himself. And then we hear the, the song begin in the background. Twilight Zone. You were caught up to the third heaven. Oh, you saw Jesus, did you? Oh, that's interesting. See, that, that was an 
I think that there's evidence to show that Paul, when he died, thought that he says all Asia has abandoned me. I think there, there's enough evidence in the pages of the New Testament to think that Paul, when he died, thought that his gospel did not survive. But you and I are testified to the fact that it did survive because we wouldn't be here today if it hadn't. The legitimacy, Udo goes on to say, of his apostleship was disputed throughout his life. He could never gain the credibility of the superintendents at headquarters. There was always a footnote when it came to the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, you have to understand, you see, there was this agreement at, in the church at the beginning. We did this kind of two... We did this to, to kind of uh, accommodate Paul. You know, he, he's a little bit different. So we just said, well, Paul, you, you go to the Gentiles and Peter will go to the Jews. And they seem to think, they seem to think that this would work. My estimation is that this, this was a fault of leadership. Leaders are to come up with solutions. But that was not a solution. That was not a solution. And ultimately, it, it was proven. One of, the, one of the most calamitous events that happens to the church in Jerusalem is that in 770 AD, a Titus uh, is sent to Jerusalem to lay siege to the city. And then the church in Jerusalem was largely dispersed. He plowed salt into the ground. That, that was the worst thing he could do in ancient times. And by that fiat, right? By that act of God, if you want to put it that way, the, the center of Christianity was moved west. The Eastern Church survives and survives to this day the pulse of, of the church and the message of the church was shifted onto the pathway following the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. We're all, almost done this morning. What time is it? Okay. Number five, he appealed to a prophetic revelation and call. In fact, he operated as a missionary scribal teacher, all in all the exact opposite of what had previously been and understood as an apostle. The overwhelming experience of the risen Jesus Christ determined the life of the apostle from that point forward without being reducible. This is number six, I think, without being reducible to statements of theological doctrine. We like formulas, right? I, I took geometry in, I think, the seventh grade. Just a few things that I remember from geometry is that in a in a triangle, the sum of the degrees of the three corners is always going to be 180 degrees. Is that right? I think so. so if you get a 90 degree corner down here, the other other two are going to be what something that comprises 90, 30, 60, whatever. 
I remembered a squared plus b squared equals c squared, or is that getting into algebra now? No, I don't know. a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Um, because that's the way you can determine, when you're laying out a floor, you can determine a right angle, right? Formulas are handy, right? But what Paul does for us, and, and, and we'll pick up on this again this week, uh, what Paul does for us is that he, he takes what happened in uh, the life, person, and ministry of Jesus Christ, and he mines the meaning out of it. Some of you on Facebook, you saw I went around the hospital taking pictures of their awful art. Um, and this is a, a crucifix hanging by the elevator. The reason why when, as believers, we see a crucifix, it impacts us with a world of meaning It's because of the Apostle Paul when he says, when he says, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. We understand that there's a difference between veneration and worship, right? So a crucifix is venerated or honored. If you go down in the chapel at Mercy South, you'll see bones of the saint in the reliquary in the monstron and the display cross. And so I was looking closely at it, St. Tilia, St. Lucilla, St. Lucilla, there's a bone from her supposedly. She's a fourth century saint. She was born blind. She's the patron saint of good eyesight. You know what? I think they should have picked a different saint, right? Why do we have all of this tradition and why do we venerate it? We don't worship it. We don't, it doesn't become idolatrous for us, but it's, it's an aid in worship, in our faith, right? So I saw that in a Catholic bookstore and Christy ordered it for me. Why does it move us? It is because Paul went be beyond formulas. And he's the one who worked out the meaning of the person, work, and ministry of Jesus Christ. Peter says, Paul writes things that are hard to understand. Yep, got that. Sometimes we don't even understand the leaps that he makes. And the reason we don't understand the leaps that he makes is because he received it as a revelation. He is the one who thinks so intently. It makes us believe that he actually saw Jesus. If Jesus walked into this room today and you knew it was Jesus and he said to you, I want you to do something for me. Anybody here up to saying no? Um, well, can you kind of give me an idea what the mission is? Are you going to be with me? Why are you asking me, right? Last chapter of John. Peter wants to know, what about John? Yeah, I'm going to die, but what about this guy? 
you know, the guy that you love? You follow me. Jesus walked in the room this morning and said, Alan, I want you to do this for me. Faith is in your heart. You would, the answer, yes, would leap out of you before you were even able to process. That's what happened to Paul. He was absolutely, totally convinced. And he had the ability to tease out, not just formulas. When he said, for for instance, we've seen it, the phrase in Colossians, the circumcision of Christ. Where does that come from? How did you put those words together? How did you put that thought, that concept together? What is rudimentary to us We just read through it quickly in the New Testament. That's why Christian art is so powerful. Because painting is worth a thousand words. You need no justification for art. It communicates instantly. We have Paul to thank for that. Thank you, Father. What a gospel we have received. It is the answer to every person's problems and difficulties. It is the answer to the world's problems and difficulties. And, Father, how we need those answers, how we need this fresh revelation, the apocalypse of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us as we journey the path towards Easter, this Lenten journey, Father. Help us to ponder these things, to meditate on these things, on our bed at night, to lift up our minds to these things, the purposes of God in the life of this man. We ask it in Jesus' name.